The Truth News Network. In a world where a sitting president's Justice Department attempts to take out their chief political rival by throwing him in jail, in a world where the economy is in virtual freefall with China buying up everything in sight, the eternal question still remains as we look to our future and the elected officials who will make it happen. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? We're TNN, the Truth News Network, and we know the answer. And to spell it out, here's Dan Newman. That's a very important question for all of us to answer. And we'll be asking and answering that question a lot between now and November of next year. Not this year, next year. That's when we decide who's going to serve in the White House for the next four years. Wow, we've got a lot of weight on our shoulders, don't we? Well, guess what? It's part of being part of the greatest country in world history. That just doesn't happen. Nobody clicked their fingers. Bam, it was all here, the United States of America. It took generations, not decades, not years, but generations of people living in bad circumstances in nations over there. And got so upset with it, so fed up with it, we said, that's enough. Let's go find a new place where we can start from scratch and build a great country that belongs to the people. Not wealthy people, not very strong and powerful bureaucrats, but the people determine everything that happens in the country. And so they did just that. And I am so thankful that they did. You want me to tell you one other thing I'm thankful for when they did it? I'm thankful that they kept God in the decisions that were being made in the foundation of this nation and God's principles. They weren't concerned about going woke or being incorrect or misgendering somebody or, oh my gosh, using the wrong pronoun when you talked to a fellow citizen. That kind of stuff rips people apart. And when people aren't together, and I'm not talking about physically present together, I'm talking about being together on fundamental things, nothing, nothing can work. Oh, you can try to do this and do that and stop doing this and stop doing that. But when you're not in unity, destruction is the only outcome that is realistic. Folks, that's where we find ourselves today. We can't even pick a speaker for the House of Representatives. And our government can't do anything without having a House speaker because the House speaker is over all pieces of legislation that come through the House of Representatives. We have so many things to get to today. Of course, I'm sure you heard Congressman Steve Scalise, who Republicans chose to be their representative in the House Speaker race. All that was left was for the full House to vote. Steve Scalise pulled himself out of that race, surprised a lot of people. And instead of 
pontificating about what I think. I thought I'd let you hear what Steve had to say yesterday when he bowed out. But clearly, not. Hey, first, let me, um, I know we've been following this. It's been quite a journey. Uh, and there's still a long way to go. Uh, I just share with my colleagues, and I'm withdrawing my name as a candidate for the speaker-designee. Uh, if you look at over the last few weeks, if you look at where our conference is, there's still work to be done. Uh, our conference still has to come together and is not there. Uh, there are still some people that have their own agendas. And I was very clear, we have to have everybody put their agendas on the side and focus on what this country needs. This country is counting on us to come back together. This House of Representatives needs a speaker and we need to open up the House again. But clearly, not everybody is there. And there's still schisms that have to get resolved. I never came here for a title. I've had some great titles. I'm the majority leader of the House. And I love the job I have. I've had big challenges in my life. I've been tested in ways that really put perspective on life, really the 2017 shooting, when I didn't know if I was gonna make it out alive, taught me what's important in life, and that's my family, my faith, and I'm blessed beyond belief. Uh, I have absolutely uh, all the right perspective, and I still have a deep, deep passion for making sure we get our country back on track and get our conference fixed again. Uh, but there's some folks that really need to look in the mirror over the next couple of days and decide, are we going to get it back on track? Are they going to try to pursue their own agenda? You can't do both. And I think we're going to get there. And I was very clear in that room uh, that ultimately we, we have to come together for the country. Uh, but I never came here for a title. And it's much bigger than me, and it's much bigger than anybody else. And nobody's going to use me as an excuse to hold back our ability to get the house opened again. We still need to get a speaker. And I'm going to continue to push as hard as we can to make that happen as quickly as it has to happen. But it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen today. It wasn't going to happen tomorrow. It needs to happen soon. But I withdraw my name, and I appreciate the interest y'all have had along the way, we still have work to do. We have to get this done. Are you throwing your support behind Jim Jordan? Do you have time on stage? And I've cut no deals with anybody. I'm sure there will be a lot of people that look at it, but it's got to be people that aren't doing it for themselves and their own personal interests. And and the folks that uh, that have their own personal interests in mind shouldn't be interested in it. I thought it, there are stories abundant. I mean, we could have played two dozen news reports announcing that Steve Scalise was taking his name out of the race for the House Speaker. But I thought it would be better for you to hear from him. Let me tell you this about Steve Scalise. He's a friend of this show. He's been on this show several times. He's been through far more negative stuff that came because he gave himself to the people of the New Orleans area to serve Louisianians in the House of Representatives. He was at a baseball practice, a Republican Congress baseball practice. They were going to take on the Democrats at that ballpark, professional ballpark, 
in Washington, D.C., something they do every year. And some rabid, sick man with a rifle snuck up and started firing at those people. Do you remember it? Steve Scalise was one that was hit absolutely the worst results. He was in the hospital for a long time, and it took him a long time to recover. But he got right back in the flow. Now, Steve is a man. He's a Louisianian. He's human. We can't expect him to be perfect. We can't expect anybody to be perfect. None of us are perfect. And I'm sure along the way, Steve has hacked some people off by doing something, saying something, or not doing something else, or saying something else. That's part of life. But where we are broken as a nation is we're stuck right there where the disagreements happen. We have lost our unity. And this morning on this show, you're going to hear some things that... You know, they might hack you off. You might get angry. You may disagree. That's okay. I want to make something very clear to you all. I respect you. I appreciate you. Many of you I know. Many I know on a personal level, some on a professional level, and some are just people that are hungry to get facts and information instead of turning to one of, and there are a number. You can pick any news network you want. Turn it on, listen to it. You'll see and hear things that maybe the other ones aren't talking about. Understand this, that's purposeful. It's purposeful. What do you mean? They're in business to make money. They're supposed to be impartial, real news reporters and news companies and news agencies bringing facts to the American people. But you know what? Facts live in a world by themselves. You do understand that. Facts are unimpeachable. There's no need to give a perspective when facts are out there and given to us by credible news sources. But what they've got to do to make more money is to separate themselves from those they compete with. And all of a sudden, that biblical principle comes into play and hell freezes over. What principle is that? The love of money is the root of all evil. And folks, when anybody in our government lies to us, gives us an opinion and tells us it's a fact when it's not a fact, And the same thing holds true when a news agency does that. That is ripping this nation apart and Americans apart from each other. And it creates a horrible pot of people that can't get together. They despise each other. And it's not because of anything these people have done. It's because of what we're being told by those in our information sources that are telling us that, putting their spin on it, so they can get more listeners and viewers and readers. It all goes back to money. One thing I know about Steve Scalise, he is a leader, and he's going to lead a bunch of those members. There are 435 members of the House of Representatives. 
And he's just one in 435. But you know what he's done ever since he went there? The same thing he's doing today. He's finding what is the right thing in circumstances. And he does it. (laughs) Can we get back to that in our thinking and the way that we operate? If we don't, the outcome is going to be really, really bad. I know politics is corrupt. Politicians are corrupt. It's not just politicians. Human beings are corrupt. We're prone to make bad choices. There are no excuses for doing it. But you know what? When you put all of that in the structure of what our forefathers put together for us, within that structure... There are ways that have been implemented to hold those people, whoever they are at any level, no matter what job they're in, no matter where they live in the United States, there's a structure of things called laws that have been created by we the people. Isn't it interesting that whenever anybody in government does something wrong, Many people are aghast at it. We can't believe it. Almost in every case, it goes back to that scripture I just gave you a few minutes ago. Why are they doing that? The love of money is the root of all evil. They give in to that. They sign off on it. And they take advantage of it. And when they're doing that, not only are they hurting the people that elected them and sent them to D.C. to represent them, they're breaking laws. Seldom. Do we hear any stories about any politicians, especially at the national level, being held accountable based upon the principles and fundamentals of this nation, the rule of law? And just because they're powerful, just because everybody knows them, that doesn't give anybody a free pass to just make arbitrary choices and decisions and just do whatever it is they want to do. New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez, he's in deep, as we used to say when I was a kid, deep doo-doo, but we didn't say doo-doo. And what's he in trouble for? New Jersey Democratic Senator Bob Menendez is facing a new federal charge. The Justice Department accuses him of conspiring to act as a foreign agent to Egypt. That's according to a superseding indictment filed in federal district court in New York. Menendez and his wife were charged last month for allegedly engaging in a bribery scheme. CBS News Chief Election and Campaign Correspondent Robert Costa joins us now. Hey there, Bob. Uh, wondering what these new charges might mean for Menendez's political future. Obviously, there were a lot of people calling for him to resign when the first uh, bit, uh, when the first indictment was handed up. Um, now, even more. For Senator Bob Menendez, this is another moment for him to barrel ahead and to say that he's not resigning, he's not stepping away from running for re-election. But this is increasing here at the Capitol. Talk among Democrats about challenging Menendez in New Jersey for that Democratic nomination for Senate. He is someone who is seen as a burden, not just for his party in New Jersey, but for Democrats nationally as they grapple with these very serious allegations. Switching gears a little bit, House Republicans are clearly divided ahead of a vote to pick a new speaker. 
How is House Majority Leader Steve Scalise going about, as you're hearing, trying to change the minds of people who say, you know what, you don't have my vote? Just below me in the Capitol basement, I've been hanging around there for the past few hours talking to Republicans as they emerge from this private conference room where they're trying to decide who's going to be the next Speaker of the House. And it's evident that Steve Scalise does not have the necessary 217 votes he needs to win the gavel on the floor of the House of Representatives. So it's becoming another crisis moment for House Republicans as they try to find a path forward. Is Scalise going to keep trying to chip away at a coalition to try to build some kind of consensus around him, or does he step away? There's already chatter among many of my sources that someone else could emerge, like mm. Congressman Tom Cole of Oklahoma or Patrick McHenry, a congressman from North Carolina who's seen favorably throughout the House GOP and now serving as the speaker pro tempore. And if I could just to add to that question, are, are you hearing more specific reasons as to why outside of we, we had a comment uh, earlier when we spoke to Nicole Killian of Congresswoman Nancy Mace, who said that it was comments that Scalise made or appearing at a, a rally um, that is a getting group. that is getting uh, negative reviews from her own constituents and said she just can't stand by that. But what what else are you hearing in terms of why they're saying no? Well, actually, years ago, I, I was one of the first reporters on that story. I spoke to people close to Scalise at the time. It was 2014, nearly a decade ago, where it emerged that Scalise at one time spoke to a white supremacist conference affiliated with David Duke, the notorious white supremacist from down in Louisiana. And Scalise said he, at the time he appeared at that conference, did not know about it in terms of its, its foundational values, in terms of its associations with racism. I'm going to stop right there because I want to point out the significance. What did I say at the top of the show about news? Why they say what they do? They don't just report the facts. They pontificate after that and try to get us all to believe a perspective about the facts that they put out there. That gives them a a leg up. If we'll believe what they say and take action on it and spread it around, they're going to be able to get some credibility that they really probably shouldn't have received from us because they couch the facts to fit a political narrative that they're pushing. And they got to make everything they report fit in that inside that narrative. I know what happened to Steve Scalise on that. He got blindsided. The group that he spoke to on that particular theme didn't have a name that even sounded like that. And remember, every member of the House of Representatives serves a specific congressional district. So these people, men and women that are elected by those people, they decide who's going to go up there. And so he or she that's elected represent those people directly. So when those people... Many inside that congressional district, when they need something that involves the government, they call or they reach out to the representative of the rep that is the congressman or woman that is over that district. They reach out to them if they need help. And they asked him to give a speech. He didn't know what it was all about, and his people should have not let that happen. But sometimes... Those people make bad choices. Members of Congress, 
Bob Menendez at the front of that story. He's in trouble for bribery, and the details as they come out, it looks like the love of money is the root of all evil in this case for Senator New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez. But the point I'm trying to make is what we need to do is we need to sign on the truth. Find the truth. Make sure when you find it, you don't just swallow what you're hearing or seeing or reading or listening to. Don't just do that. Take it. And especially if it's negative, go find the facts. Do some research on your own. We have this amazing thing called the Internet. You haven't done or said anything in public in your lifetime that you can't find somewhere on the Internet. That's how all-inclusive it is. And in some cases, (laughs) being able to do that is not a good thing. Nevertheless, force yourself. You need to get into the habit. Check out what you're hearing and seeing before you make any decisions for you or those part of your family in your circle. We've got to be educated about how to verify what you hear and what you see on which you make decisions. Man, we've got so many things going on today. We should do a three-hour show. We're going to get into the Israel stuff, and I think we need to. I want to make sure everybody knows factually where we are in that thing. There are too many moving parts to just leave out there. And certainly, you deserve to know what's going on over there because you are part of the billions of dollars that make this government able to do what it does. And we, the people, control that government and they get their money from us. So we're going to get into the Israel stuff. Today is Friday the 13th. I know, I know, superstition. I don't believe in superstition. I do believe today, and they're eight hours ahead of us. Here we are sitting in the central part of the United States at 922. It's nighttime or getting on the edge of nighttime. I believe the major ground attack by Israel into Gaza is going to happen overnight. We'll get into all of that, but we've got to do this first. You need brake pads? We have brake pads. Like dependable brake pads, quieter brake pads, longer life brake pads, and performance brake pads. At AutoZone, we have all the brake pads you need so you can get the job done right. Get in the zone, AutoZone. If you want a smart truck, you want an F-150 with available pro-trailer backup assist. If you want a strong truck, you want an F-150 with a high-strength military-grade aluminum alloy body. If you want a capable truck, you want an F-150 with up to 13,200 pounds of available towing. So to recap, you want the smart, the strong, the capable Ford F-150. Society says we should only have tacos with the gang on Tuesday. But Taco Bell doesn't play by the rules. Step away from the tacos! With Taco Bell party packs, gangs are having tacos any day of the week, even Sunday. So whether your gang is soft, crunchy, 
or straight up locos. It's time to come together and fight for tacos any night. It's taco anarchy. Can you feel it? Are they dance fighting? Rebel against Tuesday tradition with Taco Bell party packs. Pick it up or get it delivered for the whole crew. Well, well, well. Yeah, we've got issues overseas, issues in Israel. Of course, we still have Ukraine going on. Everything you can imagine, everything we can imagine is in turmoil. So let's just do this. Let me get you up to date. When the sun goes down on today, which it's about to over there, here's where we stand in the Israeli-Hamas debacle. Israel declared war. We all know that. But there's a lot more that's happened since that happened last weekend. At least 2,800 people have been killed in the war. That includes at least 1,300 Israeli civilians and soldiers and 27 Americans. We got some missing, too. They may number among the dead. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu pledged to defeat Hamas and wipe them off the face of the earth. That's a quote. The prime minister, he promised that he and fellow Israelis would wipe Hamas off the face of the earth in a speech during the swearing-in of the national emergency government at the Knesset. The attack was carried out over the weekend on the holiday of Simchat Torah, According to Israeli reports, at least 1,500 Hamas terrorists were killed in Israel, and they estimate that hundreds of terrorists are among the dead in Gaza. So what do you think is happening on the other side of this? We hear about it from the Israeli side and the American side. So I thought I'd let you know what's being reported about this whole thing from the Palestinian side. Here's a little bit of what they have put out there. Tens of thousands of anti-Israeli protesters took to the streets in the Middle East on Friday in answer to Hamas's call for a day of rage. That's today. Large numbers of Yemenis from Yemen gathered in the streets of the capital protesting in solidarity with Gaza after their weekly Friday prayers. The demonstrators showed support for Palestinians as Israel continues to bombard the Gaza Strip with retaliatory airstrikes after Hamas massacred more than 1,300 Israelis in a horrific terror attack last Saturday. At the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem's old city, Israel police were permitting only certain older men, women, and children to enter the sprawling hilltop compound for prayers They were trying to limit the potential for violence. Only 5,000 worshipers made it into the site, the Islamic endowment that manages the mosque. That's what they're reporting. On a typical Friday, 50,000 performed the prayers. 5,000 today. Meanwhile, in Beirut, thousands of supporters of Lebanon's Hezbollah militant group waved Lebanese, Palestinian, and Hezbollah flags 
chanting slogans in support of Gaza and calling for, and this is a quote, death to Israel. The Iranian-backed militant group in neighboring Lebanon has launched sporadic attacks since the Hamas assault, but they've largely stayed at on the sidelines of the war. Large demonstrations were also reported in Jordan, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Egypt, and other Middle Eastern nations. Folks, it's turmoil. It's turmoil everywhere. And this story just gets deeper and deeper. Israel dropped flyers telling 1.1 million in northern Gaza to flee immediately after giving 24-hour deadlines, sparking widespread panic as Palestine, Palestine warns of humanitarian catastrophe and the Israeli Defense Force prepares for their ground assault. The order, get out of Dodge, has sparked widespread panic. Palestine's health minister also warned that Gaza is facing humanitarian and health catastrophes and urged all countries and human rights groups to help with the immediate entry of medical and emergency aid to the conclave. Meanwhile, Arab League Chief Ahmad Abu-Git branded the Israeli order a forced transfer that he said constitutes a crime. While the secretary, listen to that, constitutes a crime. Now, if they wanted to do what Hamas did last week, in the dark of the morning, Hamas slaughtered thousands of Israelis. No warning whatsoever. I just read you the warning that Israel gave overnight. They've had all day to make a move and get out of there. Compare the differences. You know, we go after facts. 13 prisoners, including foreigners, were killed in five locations that were targeted by Israeli fighter jets. That's according to Hamas's armed wing. Israel dismissed the claims as lies. Who do you believe? Who do you believe? Sadly, for all of us that aren't there and can't look in and see anything live, we have to make our conclusions based on something. What's the answer to that question for you? Who are you going to believe? Israel's military, they sent an evacuation order directly. We just told you about it, telling 1.1 million that live in the northern part of Gaza to go south. Now that means Israel's going to invade. Their ground invasion is pending and they're probably going to start up north. And the telltale sign of that being a fact is that thousands of Israelis and tanks and other types of military equipment are right at that border. They're trying to save people's lives. But here's the uproar around the world by Palestinian supporters of every kind. Forget about facts. Don't go find out what you're hearing is truth. Just go ahead and make a decision and launch into hatred of Israel. They deserved it. I actually saw interviews from the streets of New York City yesterday. A reporter goes in and they had a massive demonstration, pro-Palestinian demonstration, and this guy asked some of the people that were demonstrating, and they were in his face. They don't believe any of the news they're hearing. They don't believe the pictures that I saw of 
a bunch of infants laying on the ground with their heads gone. They don't believe that children, school-aged children, were tied in a, in a rope in a group and gasoline poured on them and set on fire and died. They don't believe any of that. They don't believe what they see. It's because of choices they make. As a result of this notice that I gave you that they sit out, the Israelis, to get away because we're coming in, and because of that, Gaza's cities become a battlefield, told residents they have to evacuate immediately and go to the south of the Gaza Valley. Israel also issued a stark warning to Palestinians not to try and cross into Israel. For your security and safety, you should not return to that city, Piona, until further notice by the Israeli Defense Army, the flyer said. Generally, well-known shelters in Gaza City must be evacuated. It is forbidden to approach the security wall, and everyone who is approaching exposes himself to death. A small map was printed on the bottom of the flyer with arrows pointing from the north of Gaza to the south, showing those 1.1 million Palestinians which way to go. Does that sound like a nation that's trying to go in and kill everybody and take over the section of land that they're occupying? You wouldn't give that kind of notice in advance. You'd do just what Hamas did a week ago. Just go in and start shooting and killing. You don't hear very much about how it all started. It was at a music rally. Without any notice, it's in the middle of the afternoon evening. Thousands of Israelis at this music festival. It was a holiday. 260 were routinely mowed down in the the festival grounds. No warning. Nobody did anything. The Hamas soldiers just went and started shooting. If you're an Israeli person, (laughs) what do you do? If that happened in the southern part of the United States, which is where we are right now, this is where I live, what would I do? How would I respond? I have a wife. I have three children and six grandchildren. What would I do? How would I act? Fear would grip my heart. And I work hard, really, really hard to not let fear take over my common sense. But sometimes it just happens. Something else that happened overnight here, I didn't hear anything about this from anybody this morning. One source, astonishing moment, the Israeli Defense Force elite, they have a group kind of like SEAL Team 6 that we have, they retake they retake a military post that was overrun by Hamas. And oh, by the way, they rescued 250 hostages. And in that rescue, they killed 60 Hamas fighters and they captured one top terror leader. Video from body cameras worn by members of the what they call Flotilla 13. That's our SEAL Team 6 equivalent. That video was released to the public. The Naval Commando Unit, the equivalent of the U.S. Navy SEALs, is specialized in doing stuff like this, counter-terrorism. 
Bodies are seen on the floor of one darkened room. It's not know if they were hostages or terrorists. In another room in the video, a group of people are seen standing as the troops entered, presumably hostages. Stay in the bunker. We're coming, one of the officers shouted, using the Hebrew name for their unit. The identities and nationalities of those that were rescued haven't been disclosed yet, with around 20 Americans abducted that are still unaccounted for. We don't know some of those. Hopefully all of those number among those that they rescued. Hours after this footage was released, Israel's military directed residents of Gaza City to evacuate for their own safety and protection ahead of an expected Israeli ground offensive. Now, where's the United Nations in all this? You know, we pay them hundreds of millions of dollars every year. We're helping nations around the world. They always, they're supposed to, part of their mission is to try to keep peace. You think they're spending any time in Israel or Gaza now? This announcement of, you know, get out of Dodge followed a UN spokesperson's claim that the military directed an evacuation for all of northern Gaza. And that's a region where 1.1 million people live. Can you imagine the fear that grips the hearts of every Israeli now? And now the Palestinians. During last Saturday's assault on that checkpoint, there are, if, let me do this. If you don't know the lay of the land over there, I've been to Israel one time last, well, it was this year in February this year. Um, I learned a lot by being there. Grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. So I was exposed to a lot of Israeli things, but not ever being there. It's hard to put all of the pieces together. Give me an example. Where's the West Bank? We hear that all the time, the West Bank. That's where the Palestinians want to go. They want Israel to lop off that part of ground. They say, the Palestinians do, that it's theirs. History negates that. History, you remember when Moses led the people of uh, Israel, led them out of Egypt. Egypt is south and southwest of Israel. And so when they took the 40 days, they crossed into whatever Israel was at the time, pretty much just desert and mountains. The Israeli people they moved toward the promised land. They called it Canaan. That is the West Bank today, but it's not in the western part of the country. You would think it's right on the water, the Mediterranean. It's not. It's on the other side. It butts up against the border of Syria, and that's where the Palestinians want to go and live. In fact, they're demanding it, and that's why this whole mess started. So, How did this war begin? What's it all about? You know what? I thought of it and I said, I'm going to find somebody that knows this online and can give us a simple illustration verbally of how this all got started. And I found an IDF, Israeli Defense Force spokesperson, Major Libby Weiss. The major sets us straight on what's going on. It's time to set the record straight on Israel's border with Gaza. 
Hamas seized power in Gaza in 2007 and has controlled it since. Rather than investing in infrastructure to support their own civilians, Hamas has been investing millions and millions of dollars in terrorist infrastructure to kill Israeli civilians. That was Hamas's choice. Israel maintained two crossings into Gaza, Erez Crossing in the north and Kerem Shalom in the south. On a normal day, you would see people, merchandise, food, and supplies crossing into Gaza. But on Saturday, October 7th, Hamas launched a brutal and barbaric attack on Israel. Hamas slaughtered hundreds of Israelis, injured thousands, and abducted dozens of innocent Israelis into Gaza. Hamas bombed the crossing into Gaza and murdered the IDF soldiers stationed there. They destroyed the crossing and live streamed their rampage. So yes, those crossings between Israel and Gaza are closed. As we continue to fend off daily attacks from Hamas terrorists, we will not be giving Hamas any supplies or materials. We are at war with Hamas. This is a war they started. We have no legal obligation to supply our enemy with anything. The Israel Defense Forces has no choice. We are here to protect our families. So there you have it from an officer in the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force. Only two crossing spots. Now, let me give you a little synopsis. Israel, the whole country, is on the eastern, right on the eastern Mediterranean. And the way it is structured, the north and the south, are really, they're very different geographically. If you go there, it really changes because part of it's desert and part of it is the opposite of desert. It's a beautiful country. And one thing that caught my attention when we first got there, and we uh, we went up north and spent three days up north, and then we came down to the south where Jerusalem is and where the Dead Sea is, all those stories you hear, it's true. You can't go underwater in the Dead Sea. It's too salty. That's crazy. That's a story for another day. But on that trek, one of the biggest exports in Israel, I did not know this, there were hundreds and thousands of acres that were planted in palm trees. And I mean gorgeous, 40, 50 feet tall palm trees. I didn't realize that. But we went from the northernmost part of Israel down to the very southern part of Israel, and we went to the Dead Sea. We went to the Mediterranean. And the Mediterranean um, is pretty plain. (laughs) From where we were, it looked like a big lake. Nevertheless, it's the Mediterranean Sea. And all of this, this whole mess, is about Gaza and the West Bank. Gaza is on the Mediterranean. It's a little strip along the the southwest side of Israel. And when I say a little strip, it's seven miles, seven miles wide, and I think it's 22, 23 miles long, going upwards around a little kind of semicircle around that part of the Mediterranean. That's where the Palestinians are. But they want to be on the other side up north. In the, in the Israelis' promised land, Moses' promised land, it's called the West Bank. 
So they're fighting over all this. I think it's important that you get a perspective. You can't think it through unless you know what's going on. And based upon history, based upon media, based upon everything we've heard most of our lives, we feel like Israel is a monster country. I mean, big, sprawling, very big. It's the smallest country in that part of the world. And yet, everybody over there that is not Christian, in other words, everybody that is of the Muslim faith, not everybody, but the part of the Muslim faith that are militant, they they don't want to just invade and control the Israeli people. They want to destroy them. They make no bones about it. They say it. They'll be honest with you and tell you, we want them gone. It's a shame that everybody has to pick sides. Let me tell you how bad it is. I told you it's not just there. We got our our own mess of it here. Yesterday, the House Democratic Caucus devolved into a loud argument between members about their individual positions on the Israeli-Hamas-Palestinian conflict. While the Democrat leadership of both houses of Congress have condemned Hamas, condemned them for the terrorist attacks on Israel that started last weekend, several prominent Democrats who support Palestine, such as Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, she is Palestinian herself, initially remained quiet, silent. But those tensions boiled over after a remark from Democrat Representative Joshua Gottheimer of New Jersey, which reportedly began an argument about blaming for the attacks. The argument started after Representative Susan Wilde of Pennsylvania described a vigil that she attended between October 7 and 8 in memory of the victims of the attack, adding that Muslim religious leaders were not present at the time which she would have desired to preclude them from feeling ostracized. We're worried about their feelings. (laughs) Gottheimer, some attendees will say, said they should feel guilty, which some interpreted as a reference to the Muslims' wild mention. Some believe that Gottheimer was having an unrelated conversation and made the audible remark then, which was taken out of context. Nobody in politics ever takes anything out of context, right? Several Democrats were taken aghast, however. One exclaimed, Joshua, at Gottheimer. I have no idea where that comes from. Democrat Greb Gray Kassar of Texas then walked up to Gottheimer in the middle of the meeting, confronted him. Kassar called Gottheimer shameful and said that his remark was a S-H-I-T thing to say. Gottheimer responded by saying that Americans should be blaming Hamas for the attack in contrast to several left-wing groups like Black Lives Matter, which have blamed Israel, while Kassar then retorted that Muslim leaders in Pennsylvania were not responsible for the lack of awareness. At some point, Democrat Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, better known as AOC, Rashida Tlaib and AOC and others reportedly walked out of the meeting. I mean, it's Democrat, Republican, 
Christian, Muslim. You got a war going on in our own House of Representatives. That's a good explanation. The reason I wanted to bring it to you, it's a good explanation of the divisiveness that we're feeling. We're supposed to be Americans. Doesn't matter what religious preference you want to be involved in, that's between you and your maker. That's okay. In fact, if you don't want to believe, you can be somebody who doesn't believe in God. That's okay. If that's what you want, you have a right to do that here. And additionally, you have the right to express that. It's called the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We got some more of this Israel stuff we're going to get into. We're, we're going to do that. But let me tell you what's coming up later in the show. And for those of you that are in and out listening today, if you can't listen to the rest of the show, I'm going to reveal something to you about President Biden and what he has been doing. You think that the alleged money stuff that the Biden family syndicate was and is involved in, you think that's big? This president has conducted actions very quietly that are massively impeachment actions. I'm not kidding, not joking. And I've got the facts that prove it. Unconstitutional, unbelievable actions that are beyond the um, impeachable acts that he's committed that nobody's doing anything about. All we can do, folks, is shine a light on it talk to you about it and give you the information and let you research and draw your own conclusions. We're 50 minutes into the show today. In the next hour and 10 minutes, it's going to be full of facts. Stay close. You do your thing and you do it well. Now it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store. Expand into new sales channels and bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at anything. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, oh, Jesus. Supermodels. Right. What do you model? Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Right. Eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. 
now. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a bud. You've earned it. This bud's for your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Violence, screaming obscenities, heated arguments, angry crowds. Roller derby? Nah. Election season. And your voice of calm is truthnewsnet.org. If you stop for a minute and just start looking at everything that's going on in your life that has to do with the United States of America, your economic conditions, your health conditions, what things are happening around the world that are important and or things that involve you, either directly or indirectly, you'll go crazy trying to figure it all out. There's so much out there, it's incredible. And even our major news people, they're not exempt individuals. You know, the ones that are anchors we see on these news networks, networks like MSNBC, Fox, CNN. So while all of this horrible stuff, the atrocities that are being committed by Hamas terrorists against innocent victims in Israel, as all this plays out, these people at the news networks are watching it play out in real time. Many in the media are finding it hard to hide their personal emotions or to ignore some realities. One very appropriate enlightened moment occurred when Jake Tapper, CNN's finest, he commented on the evident and shocking anti-Semitism coming from everybody on the left. Not everybody, but most people on the left, while covering the latest on the conflict in Israel. These last few days have been a real eye-opening period for a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, a lot of so-called progressives in terms of anti-Semitism on the left, Jake Tapper said. He was talking with a guest on his CNN show called The Lead. A lot of people who seem more shocked at dehumanizing language used by world leaders to describe Hamas than what Hamas actually perpetrated on Saturday Tapper continued, referring to the start of the attacks last weekend. Indeed, the pro-Palestinian clamor from the left and many members of the Democrat Party has been stunning, leading many publicly condemn any efforts to downplay the attackers as the victims. From street protests against Israel all around the world to public statements from institutions like Harvard, You throw all that together, Democrats have shown their real colors, as even radical members of Congress have been criticized by their colleagues for their open bias against Israel. And it's not going to stop. Jake Tapper, he's a prime one. He is a hardcore leftist, and he makes no bones about it. You know what? He has every right to do that. I really look at him. I don't. I don't watch CNN, and I'm in the media myself. One would think, especially at a time like this, that a person that does what I do would take some time 
to look around. I do read their stuff. And every once in a while, especially during a commercial on one of the other networks that I'm watching, I'll flip over there and watch a few minutes. There's very little substance there, but Jake Tapper, he's kind of like their dude. You know what I'm referencing? Their guy. He's the one that pretty much is considered to be a real voice of truth. Now, you notice I said he's considered to be a real voice of truth, but the fact that he's at CNN kind of diminishes that part of whatever credibility he has at telling the truth. Nevertheless, I told you about this. It's like a light bulb went off in Jake's head when he's reporting about this, and he is recognizing the his words, evident and shocking anti-Semitism Semitism, coming from those on the left. They're supposed to be the perfect ones. They're the ones that are supposed to have everything together. They recognize everybody is the same, equal, treat everybody the same way. At least that's what they say. It's certainly not what they do. And you can't credibly say, I'm wrong about that. That's the way it is. It's time for us to get our stuff, (laughs) the other S word was appropriate, get our stuff together and realize just because you think something's right doesn't automatically make it right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't make it automatically be wrong. Those are opinions, and they're good. We should develop opinions. We should base our opinions on on researched circumstances, things we've lived through, things we see other people do and say, and then get facts. Just make sure when you draw your conclusion that becomes your opinion, that you're basing it on facts. Now, I'm not stupid. Emotions are always part of decisions that we make. It's really tough to go against emotions and do something knowing that when we do it, it's against our conviction or what we think, but then that's also a good thing sometimes because we recognize we were in the wrong place. We needed to be somewhere else. It's one of those kind of events that Jake Tapper doing this, this interview, he discovered these last few days have been a real eye-opening period for a lot of people. A lot of Democrats, a lot of progressives, he said, in terms of anti-Semitism on the left. In other words, I'm one of us, and it looks like many of us have got it wrong. There's a lot of Israeli hatred, Jewish hatred going on in our own political party. Uh Uh-oh. Reality sets in. I thought it would be appropriate today to turn to somebody spiritual. I found a minister. I don't know anything about him. His name is Greg Laurie. I just happened to find it doing research overnight. And he gave a very simple explanation about the evil. And 
nobody can credibly say what happened. No matter what the circumstances, all those kids that got killed and slaughtered, forget about the rest of the people for a second. You cannot say that is okay under any circumstances. It's evil. At the very beginning of this entire world thing, Adam and Eve in the garden, they had two boys, two sons. They may have had more, but the Bible talks about two, Cain and Abel. And Abel was a very creative guy, where Cain was a blue-collar guy, literally. Cain was great going out and working in the fields and doing stuff like that. Abel was more of an artsy kind of guy, a creative guy, probably liked music, probably learned to play the guitar. And mom and dad, I mean, if you've got two kids and you've got one that's just so-so at doing things, kind of hangs to the back in a crowd, and then you have another one that's out front doing things, working for people, being real positive all the all the time. There's going to be some friction there. And Cain just killed his brother. It's hard to explain somebody could do that. But evil is everywhere. This thing with Pastor Greg Laurie, it struck me so hard. It hit me in such a dramatic way. I wanted to share it with you. Greg Laurie here with some thoughts about what's happening in Israel. We have all been horrified to see these unbelievable images on our television screens and our social media feeds of atrocities that we have not seen since World War II, of a targeted attack by this terrorist organization, Hamas, against civilians, women, elderly people, some who even survived the Holocaust, and children even hearing of babies being murdered and decapitated. It's evil on another level. And this has caught the people of Israel by surprise. And if you were to take what has just happened there and have it happen in America, it would be like 30,000 Americans dying because their nation is much smaller than ours. And this has been their 9-11, their Pearl Harbor. Really, it's like multiple Pearl Harbors and 9-11s. And this war is being fought, and some are saying, well, we just you know, need to be a ceasing of hostility. Well, Israel has to defend themselves. Can you imagine if on the heels of 9-11, people said, well, you know, just don't fight back. No, we have to stop this, and, and Israel has to do the same. So when the Bible says pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I do pray for peace, but I do pray that they succeed in stopping this wicked enemy, Hamas, from doing what they're doing. And I pray that they get the hostages out. There are even Americans among those hostages. So let's all be praying right now. At times like this, we're reminded that the scripture addresses this. And it tells us in the end times there would be distress of nations with no way out. We see so much going on in our world right now. The aggression of China as a military and economic superpower and their desire, no doubt, to take over Taiwan. Of course, we see the continuing war in Ukraine with Russia. And now we see this conflict in the Middle East, this attack against the Jewish people on a level they have never seen before. But Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up. He didn't say, when you see these things begin to happen, freak out. So we need to look up. So we need to pray for the people of Israel. We need to pray for those who have lost loved ones in such a tragic way. But we also need to be reminded that 
I believe these are signs of the times. You know, the Bible says the end time events would revolve around the Middle East and specifically Jerusalem. God said in the book of Zechariah, he would make Jerusalem a cup of trembling and a burdensome stone. And it's interesting to look at the enemies of Israel, how often they bring up Jerusalem. You know, people say, well, all they want is a two-state solution. I think what they want in some cases is a final solution. And that's the verbiage that the Nazis used and Hitler used in eradicating the Jewish people from the face of the earth. You can't negotiate with someone that says you do not have the right to exist. And Iran, who back Hamas, have openly said on many occasions that they want to wipe Israel off the face of the map. So listen, one of the signs of the end times is God said the Jewish people would be scattered and regathered in their land. That's happened. On May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation and the prophetic time clock began to tick. But then God also said in the last days that Israel would be attacked by a large force from her north identified as Magog. Now is Magog Russia? Many scholars and prophecy experts believe it is. I happen to think it very well could be. So let's just play that out for a moment. If Magog is Russia who attacks Israel after she's regathered in her homeland in the end times. It is worth noting that one of the allies of Magog is Persia, which is the ancient name for Iran. So if Russia is Magog, the Bible predicted hundreds of years ago that Russia and Iran would become allies. That has actually happened in very recent days where Iran and Russia have formed an alliance. In fact, the Iranians have provided the weaponized drones that have been used in the war in Ukraine against the Ukrainian people. And so you see this alliance. And of course, we know that Persia, Iran is behind Hamas. So a lot of interesting interconnected things. I'm not saying that what is happening now will lead to the Ezekiel 37 scenario. What I'm saying is it's interesting the Bible addresses these topics. So, you know, we need to look up. And we need to be preaching the gospel because everyone needs Jesus. Every Israeli, every Arab, every man, every woman, every Russian, every Chinese person, every American, we all need Jesus. You know, Jesus is the answer. And so our focus as Christians is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So I encourage you all to do that, but be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. It's really refreshing to, in the middle of any chaos, any nasty stuff that's happening to us, if somewhere we can find a voice, a voice of reason that gives us some factual stuff on which to base some good decisions, make some decisions based on facts. You know, when we have something like this happen, so nasty, so inclusive, it really is scary, and a lot of people let the fear drive them into, I guess, a little room where they're going to live emotionally and psychologically for a while. That's pretty dangerous. Even when there's evil going on, it's important for us to recognize and to make some choices. How are we going to handle this? What are we going to do about this? The worst thing that somebody can do in any bad situation, and I've seen people do this when they lose children, especially suddenly, kids are gone, car wreck or some bad thing happens and takes them away. 
I've seen women do it when their husband dies, unexpectedly especially. And the opposite is true as well. Can you imagine the families of all these people that were caught up in this invasion by Hamas and this slaughter of people? Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, I have a lot of respect for him. In many ways, I have more respect for him than I do the current president, but that's a story for another day. The principal reason I do is Netanyahu, who has proven he's a real leader, and he seems to be a really honest guy. Everything I've read about him, everything I've heard about him, when I was in Israel in February, we came really close. We were up in the northern part of Israel the first part of the trip, and a good friend of mine has a really close friend that is Netanyahu's number one man. And I came really close to getting to interview Benjamin Netanyahu. I was going to drive down, leave the group that I was with, and drive down from the northern part of Israel down to Jerusalem. But he got called away and ended up coming to the United States while I was there, and I missed it. But I have a lot of respect for him. He is very concerned about the people that are getting ripped apart, many dying, many losing people unexpectedly. All of this was not anticipated. And I thought it would be important for us to just look not at names and stuff like that, but the numbers of people that have already been killed and abducted and also missing. And it's not just the United States. There are at least 27 of our fellow citizens that have been killed. An unspecified number of Americans are believed to have been abducted. We don't have any way to call that out yet. We know now that American citizens, among those being held hostage by Hamas, President Biden told us that on Tuesday. Where else in the world? Thailand. 21 citizens of Thailand have been killed in this whole thing. And there are 16 known Thailand hostages. France, 13 dead and 17 are missing. Nepal, 10 dead, one is missing. Argentina, 7 dead, 15 people are missing. Russia, 4 dead, 6 are missing. The U.K., four dead. Austria, three dead, two missing. Belarus, three dead, one missing. Canada, three dead, and three missing. And it doesn't stop. Chinese, there are three dead Chinese people, three dead from the Philippines, two dead, one missing from Brazil. Peru, two dead and three missing. Australia, one dead. Azerbaijan, one dead. Cambodia, one dead. Chile, one dead. One missing. Ireland, one dead. Portugal, one dead. Four missing. Spain, one dead. Turkey, one dead. One missing. Germany, a multitude of hostages. We don't even have a number. Mexico, two hostages. Italy, three missing. Colombia, two missing. Sri Lanka, Two missing. Tanzania, two missing. Can you believe the impact this is having on countries all around the globe? 
Don't diminish what is happening over there. It's important for all of us to stay locked in and open. You know, we got our we got our eyes and ears tuned in on as Americans when we found out about that six billion dollar fund that we grabbed. We don't have it. We never physically got it, the $6 billion. It was a bunch of money, $6 billion, that was profit for the nation of Iran selling their oil to other countries. And the United States grabbed it. And they grabbed it because of all the stuff that's going on there with Iran. And so as part of that, one of the deals that Joe Biden cut, this particular one, it was part of getting those five Americans back that were being held as hostages by Iran. They put that $6 billion, it, the money was in an account in South Korea, but they moved it. The United States agreed and Iran agreed. They moved it to an account in Qatar, Qatar, however you want to say it. And it's, it's there. And then we found out that that money in the deal, it was all initiated and that money had been on deposit from even before Joe Biden was president. And that money had specific things that it could be used for. It wouldn't be wire transferred or whatever, however they were going to put the money for Iran. It was going to stay in an account and there were overseers that watched and Iran was to make a request for X number of dollars, but it was all supposed to use for humanitarian items, things like food. The Biden administration originally cut that deal to transfer that money that's in frozen assets for those prisoners. And as we said, it's an account in Qatar. Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adiamo confirmed to House Democrats that Iran is not going to be allowed to access that $6 billion, noting that the money isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Both Democrat and Republican lawmakers together demanded the Biden administration refreeze the $6 billion transfer after the attacks began on Saturday. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Republican Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, they announced legislation to refreeze the transfer less than 24 hours before the Biden administration made their own decision to do it. Iran is suspected of aiding and funding Hamas's attacks against Israel. Their fingerprints are all over what happened. Iran views Hamas and Hezbollah as a proxy that it can use to commit terrorism on its behalf without having to get involved. So we're told the 6B is on hold. Is it really on hold? I have no idea. No idea at all. Now, if you were with us at the top of the show, I told you I have information, evidence, not hearsay, evidence, that our president, Joe Biden, regarding money, regarding Iran, has committed openly impeachable offenses by violating laws passed by Congress and surreptitiously. That means behind the scenes where nobody saw it, nobody knew it was going on. 
broke the law. There's evidence that proves it. Well, what is it all about? What is there, Dan? Well, let me just say this. I'm going to let somebody else tell you the story. And you'll hear that right after this break. Starbucks Via Instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. So it's the only instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks Via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black flavored lattes and iced coffee. You're driven all night. Everyone has one. The guy that's fun to be around, but he's dangerous to be around. You've got to keep him away from your things, like your tools, your gadgets, and your girlfriend. So before you get your juvenile mate around, get your lips around a dare iced coffee. The real Arabica and Robusta coffee kick will tell you what to do. Hire a jumping castle. Hours of fun for kids of all ages. A dare iced coffee fix will fix it. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. Ready to take your Jenga skills to the next level? If you're an all-star at building towers and balancing blocks, then build up the competition in new Jenga Maker. Play in teams to finish first and claim the crown. Jenga and new Jenga Maker. Reach the top of your game, each sold separately. In a world of fake news, the truth will out. Truthnewsnet.org. Again, Dan Newman. We are in that world. We're all either treading water or moving forward or backwards, but we're part of it. Truth will out. That's what I always hang on to. Um, I demand it myself. There are so many people out there that when they say something, they say something's real. You either look at them and you think, eh, maybe, maybe not. But we stop. When somebody has a history of lying, eventually people just don't listen to what they're saying or immediately they hear it and dismiss it and say, obviously, that's not true. It's tough to be there, but what's really tough about it is when it's people that are leaders in some capacity, I mean in businesses, companies, churches, social groups, oh, and also in the government. I told you about the information that we discovered overnight about this president literally breaking the laws. And I'm not talking about not enforcing laws at the southern border. This is much, much Worse. Where did I get the information? Larry Kudlow. Instead of me tell you about it, let Larry tell you. All right, folks, quick riff from me before we get to General Keene. Yesterday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen swore up and down that the Bidens have in no way relaxed the economic sanctions on Iranian oil. To refresh, uh, refresh your memory, please take a listen to this. 
we have not in any way relaxed um, our sanctions on Iranian oil, and we are we have sanctions on Hamas, on Hezbollah. Um, this is something we have been constantly looking at um, and using um, information that comes available to tighten sanctions. So here's my problem with that statement. A couple of years ago, Iran was producing about 400,000 barrels of oil a day. Today, they're producing about three and a half million barrels per day. And they're on their way to 4 million barrels per day, according to industry observers. Now, where'd that come from? You don't suppose sanctions were lifted so they could sell it, do you? Now, wait a minute. Some more numbers. Iran has a favorite customer, China. In 2020, Iran sold China roughly $6.5 billion worth of oil. $6.5 billion. Then the next year, Biden's first year in 2021, that mysteriously jumped to $23 billion. Then last year, in 2022, that oil sale mysteriously leaped to $30 billion. Well, where did all that come from? If we didn't lift the sanctions, how come they're producing and selling all that oil? Odd story, isn't it? Now, what's this worth to Iran? Anyway, at least, at least another six hundred. Uh, Another $60 billion worth of revenue. $60 billion, okay? The $6 billion controversy for the hostage exchange, small beer. The oil sales is everything. Now, as the Mideast's greatest state sponsor of terrorism, $60 billion may be financing Hamas, Hezbollah. They're all aiming to destroy Israel. That's a likely guess, don't you think? U.S. intelligence is actually telling us Iran didn't fund or plan or mastermind this hideous Hamas massacre of Gaza. Really? While Ali Baraka, who's a Hamas big shot, was telling Russian TV that our allies, quote, our allies are those that support us with weapons and money. First and foremost, it is Iran that is giving us money and weapons, end quote. Where'd that Iranian money come from? Energy sales. Well, how are all those energy sales possible? A relaxation of sanctions. That's how. Now, one more factoid. Iranian foreign exchange reserves, they were about $4 billion three years ago. Today, miraculously, their foreign exchange position is estimated to be about $70 billion worth. Well, where'd they get all that money? You guessed it. A relaxation of sanctions. Now, Here's a quote from my long-term pal, foreign policy expert Elliot Abrams, writing in the National Review. I will quote, Hamas depends heavily on Iranian funding. Iran was broke when Donald Trump left office, but is now pretty flush in cash. That's not just because of the recent deal for U.S. hostages, but because the Biden administration has not been enforcing U.S. oil sanctions. End quote. Now, I'm going to get a little technical just for a second, folks. Hang on. It's not going to be painful, I promise. First, the Congress, on numerous occasions, has mandated economic sanctions on Iran, Venezuela, Russia, Hezbollah. That's the law. Now, second, there are two kinds of sanctions. Stay with me on this. One is primary sanctions that prohibit citizens and companies of the sanctioning country from engaging with any sanctioned country. Think U.S. and Russia, 
post-Crimea, and now post-Ukraine. Okay, that's direct. Second, there's something called secondary sanctions. That stops third parties from banking or engaging in commerce with the sanctioned country. Recent U.S. sanctions against Iran illustrate this example. U.S. secondary sanctions gave banks around the world a choice. Either stop dealing with Iranian banks or you lose access to the entire U.S. dollar financial system, which is over 90% of world's transactions. That's tough stuff. The secondary sanctions is not just the SWIFT system, which is the messaging system about transactions. It means that, for example, this is just an example. If France bought oil from Iran, France would be cut off from the entire U.S. dollar system. France would be cut off from something called the Fed wire, that's the Federal Reserve wire, or in the private banking system, France would be cut off from something called the clearinghouse. The execution of these sanctions is all monitored by the Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Asset Control, or OFA. Now, if the Biden administration were implementing primary and secondary sanctions on Iran, then the Iranian outlaws wouldn't be producing 4 million barrels a day, wouldn't be selling over 30 billion worth of exports to China, wouldn't be accumulating some 70 billion worth of foreign exchange reserves. Trust me on this. So Janet Yellen's telling us a big fib when she denies that sanctions haven't been relaxed. They have been. Kind of similar to her earlier fib that there's no inflation. Remember that one? The reality, Congress has mandated the tools to keep Iran in poverty and thus deny Hamas at any financing to cut off babies' heads or murder grannies in bed. Trouble is, the Bidens won't execute the congressional law. It's a law. Congress passed it. Congress passed all the immigration laws, the federal immigration laws, which tell us, tell everybody in the world, if you step foot in the United States of America without having a formal permission of some sort, you're breaking a federal law. And if you aid and abet anybody to come into this nation illegally, you're guilty of a federal law violation yourself. That's bad enough. But then we're talking every day, all day now, since last Saturday, we're talking about the horrors that took place at the hands of Hamas and Elzbala, who are terrorist organizations that are funded almost solely by Iran. Thousands killed, slaughtered, murdered with very sophisticated weapons that they're using, all kinds of military operational things like intelligence and all that kind of stuff. They get all of that, the money to buy all of that, they get it from Iran. So what do we do? Our Congress says, look, we're not going to support them and help them gain all this money. And everybody knows Hezbollah and Hamas are tied to directly Iran. Joe Biden, 
Joe Biden personally made all the decisions about not enforcing federal immigration laws. By the way, he was in the U.S. Senate when most of those were passed, and he supported them. He told his Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, yeah, go ahead, stop enforcing our southern border laws. Let's get all these people in here, whatever it takes. We don't care who they are, let them in. Reportedly 8 million on his watch with at least another million or two of the gotaways that we don't even know came in. Don't know who they are. Don't know where they came from. Are they terrorists? We did find accidentally at the southern border on Joe Biden's watch, 150 terrorists on the terrorist watch list came into the country. How many more did? What are those people over here for? What are they doing? Did they come to find a good job? Heck no. They came to be who they are, terrorists. I hate to say this, but it will not shock me if and when. No, not if. When we start having terrorist outbreaks, events where people are slaughtered by terrorists that came in through our southern border. That doesn't matter to Joe Biden. If it did, he would just simply do what he can do and what he's supposed to do, what he committed to do, and what he legally has to do, close the southern border, stop all illegal entry into the United States by anybody from anywhere. It's illegal. And then he single-handedly We all remember what happened when he was vice president. They gave billions of cash to Iran who promised, give us money. What we'll do is we'll stop working on nuclear energy production that everybody knows we were doing it to make a bomb, nuclear bomb, that we'd use against whoever we got hacked off at. Maybe I shouldn't use the term hacked off when I'm talking about Iran because they do that pretty regularly. That's bad enough. But now they're getting $60 billion more a year from oil sales than they're supposed to be able to get because our Congress, you know, comprised of 535 Americans that they do the work in making these laws, representing the people of their states and congressional districts. In other words, they're the voices of we the people, you and me. They passed these sanctions, signed into law, and Joe Biden has once again thumbed his nose at the rule of law and we the people, and it's about money. Forget about what might be on the other end of it. Don't even think about Joe Biden or the Biden family syndicate getting some money because of what he's doing. Actually, not what he's doing, what he's not doing. Supposed to be enforcing the laws that were crafted by the American people, that constitutional thing. Those people on the left have the chutzpah to point at Donald Trump and say he's a wannabe dictator, an authoritarianist, 
and he wants to destroy our democracy, the democracy that was created and Donald Trump used to make America be economically more sound than we have been in decades, not breaking laws, doing the things for the people that are necessary for the people to thrive and prosper, not the politicians. So what are we going to do? We're sitting by and letting millions of people come into our country. No idea who they are. We know they bring a lot of stuff. Oh, just one little thing we forgot to talk about. What do we know they're bringing with them? And we know it's killing Americans left and right. Illegal drugs. Fentanyl principally comes from China. By the way, the numbers of those people that are coming in across our southern border, there's a massive number of people coming in here from China. Just saying. How many people is it okay for you to let die from drugs that because you don't enforce laws are coming into the United States? What's the number? That's like talking about we know there were a bunch of illegal, irregular elections systems across the nation in every one of the recent elections, 2022, 2020, 2018, it's there. And it's been proven in court. There have been court decisions that have come out. Legislation has come out since the 22 elections in states where they've changed their election systems to fix the cheating that happened in 2022. But we're tied up by the Department of Justice. We the people are And incidentally, you hear me talk about sometimes with Steve Baker when he's with us because he's on the bullseye of the Department of Justice. We watch the sources of people that are listening to this show live. We don't know who they are. I I can look right now and tell you how many people are, are listening to the show and what state they're listening from. And we joke about it. But almost every time Steve's on this show on Tuesday, we have at least two people listening from Langley, Virginia. What's in Langley? The CIA. That's just one little point about the Joe Biden Department of Justice. They have one edict. You don't have to enforce laws. Don't enforce any American laws unless the White House tells you to. You can't prosecute anybody that has any ties to the Democrat Party or the Biden family unless the Department of Justice, the Attorney General, says it's okay to do it. We're living in that, and it's wrong for us. We're going to get in trouble if we talk about election cheating. You can't do it. They've already prosecuted, sent bunches of people to jail, Attacking their people they're supposed to be representing and protecting, you and me. So what's going to happen to Joe Biden? Much of the stuff he's done that's publicly been confirmed were impeachable events. We don't impeach. Mike Johnson, my congressman, has been on the show. He's here every week, every couple of weeks. 
I asked him several times. We talked about impeachment. He, he made it very clear. We've got multiple things with which this president can and should be prosecuted, not prosecuted, but impeached for. But a couple of things happen. If we're successful at impeaching him, our articles of impeachment in the House, they go across to the Senate. The Senate won't agree to try Joe Biden and kick him out of office. And then even if we could get that done, who's going to replace him? Kamala Harris, the vice president. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's kind of like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. So we're kind of in a catch-22 process. But Americans need to know the facts. They need to know. We all need to know when our leaders, every one of them, Republican, Democrat, makes no difference, when they're violating their oaths of office and not enforcing the rule of law, they must be held accountable. Period. Now, let me tell you about something. Another thing I found out overnight, there's a new drug, very little known drug, that Hamas and other terrorists may be using when they go into battles. And this drug is really strange, but it's taking hold here in the United States. Megan Kelly talks a little bit about that with Dr. Drew. Listen to this. Scott Adams posted this online, and I'm sure you know about this drug, Captagon. Yeah. And there's some speculation, that's all it is, that this drug may be playing a part somehow amongst the Hamas terrorists. What what is Captagon, and why are people wondering about that? So when you look at these behaviors of, of of the terrorists, let's, I mean... Why, how can we call them anything else? I, I don't understand, but, yeah. but okay, terrorists. Uh, you think to yourself, how is this possible? How, how could a human behave like beheaded babies and things? You, just, you think about it and you just you, you pull away, you cringe. And one of the ways through, through uh, particularly 20th century history that people do stuff is with drugs. Uh, and Captagon is widely distributed through the Middle East. It's not available through the West. Uh, it's a very, you know, when I did some research on it, I, it was very shrouded in sort of mystery. Like I could not figure out why it was made illegal in the West. It was originally an amphetamine substitute. It's a prodrug. It's converted into by your, your body, your liver to amphetamine and theophylline essentially. And in principle, it should be milder than than amphetamine. Prodrugs sometimes are, but it seems to be more more intense, seems to cause more inflation, which is the, the really one of the dire side effects of methamphetamine in particular, which is you feel agitated and bigger than life and, and justified in your every move. And some sort of, again, we've talked about dissociation. There's some dissociative quality to it where you're just sort of not all there. Oh, that, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. So, so it actually, it, I mean, perhaps, for, like, whatever, but perhaps these are not normally the inhumane monsters they were on this day? Like this drug could actually push you to do something that you wouldn't do without it? It's highly speculative, and I think you'd have to use a lot, and you'd have to probably use it for a while to get to that point, but it's possible. 
Uh, it's possible. It, it, my, my brain is trying to wrap its head around what is going on here. Well, and I'd rather believe that it's a drug than an actual human heart. Right. Behind, but behind again, look at history. I mean, you know, the Huns and whatever, the, the humans have done this. Uh, in, in, you know, They did um, say that Hitler was a big fan of snorting cocaine. And I amphetamines. Mean, amphetamines were used very widely. And military uses amphetamine. They do. It just does. Uh, but this drug in particular seems to have some mysterious properties that I'm not, I couldn't fully tease out of the literature. So I, I'm worried. Uh, and also they say that there are some properties, some illicit manufacturing is including, quote, something else. And I, my suspicion is there may be like an opiate or something in there as well, which also makes you not feel anything. Captagon. Like we need another uh-oh in our lives right now, right? It kind of shocked me when I heard about it. And it's a what-if thing. It's not one of those things that we need to, just because we heard Dr. Drew talking about it and and what it does and what we know about it. Once again, here we go. We've got all of these uh, inoculations that we've used for years. We know what's in them. At least we think we know what's in them. This is another situation. He brought it out, Dr. Drew did. Well, Megan Kelly brought it out at first because it's out there and it may be something everybody needs to know about. In fact, there is some news about one of these inoculations for COVID-19 and contents in it. I'll get that information for you. It's something you need to know about. Political election news. We hadn't talked about any of that today. Trump is leading Biden in the crucial battleground state of Wisconsin, we are told. This follows a series of similar findings in other key swing states. Trump is beating Biden 42 to 40 percent among Wisconsin voters, 11 percent choosing somebody else, 8 percent remaining undecided. This is from the Emerson College poll, which is a very popular one, well thought of poll comes after several other recent battleground state surveys found Trump ahead of Biden, and those states include Pennsylvania and Michigan. So you got three states now where Trump is leading. In Pennsylvania and Michigan, he, he's way ahead of where he was in the previous election. In a state Biden won in 2020 by less than one percentage point, that's Wisconsin, and Trump won in 2016 by nearly the same margin, This poll suggests a similar trajectory for next year, 2024. Another Emerson College poll released Wednesday found that Trump is leading Biden in Pennsylvania by nine. In Michigan, he's leading 42 to 35 percent. In all three of these battleground states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, Trump won in 2016 against Hillary, but he lost them, all three, in 2020 to Biden. Trump's also leading Biden in several other key swing states like Georgia, North Carolina, as well as in national polls across the states with the most narrow margins of victory in 2020. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Trump is beating Biden 41 to 35. Now that's according to a Reuters Ipsos poll released last month. The real clear politics average for a 2024 national Republican and Democrat primary based on the most recent polling shows that Trump and Biden are leading their respective fields 
by 57.8% and 61.3% respectively. The Emerson College poll surveyed 532 Wisconsin voters. It has a margin of error of plus or minus 4.2%. Now, are we supposed to make our decisions based totally on these polls? No. We just have to keep staying in our own lane and doing our own thing and listening to our hearts, listening to people we know and trust, and come up with the best possible scenario for who? For us. I don't know about you. Marianne and I, we don't do things just for us. We don't make decisions based on just us. We have a good circle of people that are part of our lives, and we collectively make choices and decisions. Prime example, we have six grandchildren. They all live right here. We're around them almost daily, some of them. We have three of them. We have a set of twins one of our daughters has, and then a boy, a son, that our other daughter has. All three of them are seniors in high school. They graduate this year. We're in their lives, pretty much in every area of their lives, and we make our decisions in many cases based upon our three children and their children. We need to realize that. We don't live in a vacuum. Very few of us do. We lean on people. We have people that lean on us. People look to us. People out there trust us. Sometimes we don't even know who they are or that they trust us. When I crack this mic open every day, I'm talking to a lot of different people from a lot of different places. Very few of them do I know. Why am I saying this? It's important we all understand. We don't live in a vacuum. We affect especially the choices that we make, we affect a lot of good people who look to us. Remember that. You don't live in a vacuum. What you do and say is not just important to you. A lot of other people look to you. We need to give them good seed to grow with. It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. You do your thing, and you do it well. Now, it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store. Expand into new sales channels and bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive. Our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please forgive us 
for never washing our hands. Ever! Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity for the man who's in the process. Looking out west, got some news, shocking news. It was to me when I heard about it. A judge delivered California's first fentanyl murder sentence in connection with the death of a local teen. The Placer County District Attorney's Office, they announced this yesterday. Guy named Nathaniel Cabacungan, age 22, received a sentence of 15 years to life for the death of a Roseville teen, Jules Wolf. This guy pled guilty July the 12th last year to murder and the sale of a controlled substance to a minor causing a death by fentanyl. This new law names fentanyl. They pulled it out and made it separate when they prosecute people. Our message is simple. Do not sell this poison in Placer County. This historic sentence affirms our county's commitment to holding fentanyl dealers accountable. That's from the district attorney. Through aggressive prosecution, countywide investigations, support from our local officials, and our One Pill Can Kill Placer campaign, we will save lives through education, enforcement, and empowering our community members. We will continue to stand with the Wolf family, to honor her memory by educating our kids of the dangers of fentanyl. Now listen to these numbers. Fentanyl is largely responsible for 105,263 drug deaths that occurred between February of 2022 and January. That's coming from the Department of Justice. 105,263 drug deaths from February and January. The highly potent synthetic drug is a leading cause of death for Americans between the ages of 18 and 49. Throughout the nation, we continue to address the impacts of the opioid crisis and have in recent years seen a marked increase in fentanyl usage and associated deaths. That's California Attorney General Rob Bonta. Today we grieve the loss of yet another young life to this drug, a loss that should have never occurred in the first place. We hope that today's sentencing brings some sense of closure to this young woman's family. Let this be a warning to the poison peddlers in California's neighborhoods. We will hold you accountable. Of course, that would only apply if it doesn't happen in Los Angeles because their district attorney, he'll slap the perpetrator on the back and say, don't ever do it again. Why did I bring this story up? I just want, first of all, it's the first prosecution with a life sentence attached to it for fentanyl murder in the United States. Who would have thought that could happen in California of all places? I sure didn't think that it would. I mean, they, they, they hardly prosecute anybody for anything out there. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Uh-oh. Justice Thomas is back in the news. And he is reportedly leading an effort to redefine defamation. 
so that slanderers are easier to sue. Now, this is interesting. I continue to adhere to my view that we should reconsider the actual malice standard. He wrote that in an opinion filed Tuesday. The case concerned a former coal baron, coal baron, who challenged the actual malice standard by alleging that the media's lies had led to him losing a Senate campaign. The Supreme Court ultimately decided not to review the coal baron's case. Justice Thomas agreed with the decision, but, quote, urged the justices to review a similar case in the future so they can tackle the actual malice standard. The actual malice standard traces back to New York Times versus Sullivan, a landmark 1964 Supreme Court case that said the First Amendment limits the ability of public officials to sue for defamation and or slander. For almost 60 years, the landmark ruling has protected the press from defamation suits in favor of fostering debate about government and public affairs. In New York Times v. Sullivan, the court declared that public officials can only recover damages from a defamatory falsehood relating to their official conduct if they can prove that the statements were made with knowledge that they were false or with reckless disregard to whether they were false or not. In his opinion this week, Justice Thomas reportedly accused the Times of having usurped control over libel laws to create their own standard, one which he obviously opposes. New York Times and the court's decisions extending it were policy-driven decisions masquerading as constitutional law. The decisions have no relation to the text, the history, or structure of the Constitution, and the actual malice standard comes at a heavy cost, allowing media organizations and interest groups to cast false aspersions on public figures with near impunity. Uh, He would know that. He's been a constant victim of the media's lies and smears. Most recently, the New York Times, there you go, published a report on my birthday, July 29th, claiming that billionaire Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones had gifted Thomas with a Super Bowl ring, among other things. Oh my gosh, got a ring. Those are expensive things. Man, the left stream media went nuts about it. He got a Super Bowl ring. Jerry Jones gave him a multi-thousand ring. Over the years, did you know that he, Thomas, flew in Jerry Jones' private jet? Mr. Jones gave him a Super Bowl ring. He attended the Cowboys training camp. And when the team played in Washington, he sat in the owner's box. Well, a couple of weeks later, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, they picked up on the New York Times story, and they ran its own, asking why Thomas had been gifted such an expensive item. So that's the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. The Dallas Morning News also got in on the smear. But by August, guess what came out? Evidence proving the original port was fabricated. It was a replica ring. 
Teton Capital CEO David Sokol, a member of the Horatio Alger Association, who's reportedly known both Thomas and Jones for years. He's the one that said it. People are just looking for ways to attack conservative Supreme Court members. They just run with stuff even when they know it's not accurate. Sokol wasn't alone in saying this. A former Thomas staffer who worked with him around the time the ring was gifted also said the same thing. It was a replica. It had hardly any value. It was just used as a paperweight. I was there. I was working for the justice at the time. And I can assure you, it was just a replica. I saw it. I held it. I handled it, he said. Mark Paoletta, a longtime Thomas friend and also biographer, likewise said that the latest smear was just another one of those sloppy stories where reporters want to believe the most ridiculous allegations against Justice Thomas. Clarence Thomas appreciated receiving a replica Super Bowl ring from the Cowboys. And that's all. It was clear from the photos. He used it as a paperweight. How could New York Times reporters get this so wrong? Better yet, how is it that the law forbids someone like Thomas from suing the Times over the bull crap that they published about him? This isn't the first time Supreme Court justices call for the high court to consider New York Times v. Sullivan. Just a couple of months ago, the conservative justice attacked the ruling in Sullivan in a fiery dissent in which he called it flawed. Thomas issued other public critiques of Sullivan in recent years, including back in 2019, he wrote that the ruling and the court's decisions extending it were policy-driven decisions masquerading as constitutional law. And we thought all they did was tell the truth up there. New York Times, bastion of media integrity, right? <laughs> hey guys, thank you for tolerating me in the show today. It's a lot to take in, whoa, but whoa, when whoa, you need whoa. a refresher, you can't it's talk all now. here. You can't talk now. 365, every podcast. Be quiet, boy. Not racist. He's a friend of mine. Thanks for putting up with me for stuff like that. You guys have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Every Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. And remember, bullet points tomorrow, Saturday bullet points. We'll round up the biggest happenings of the week. You can sit there with coffee, peruse the headlines, and just relax on Saturday. See you next week.